This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Cary, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty joe show or patreon.com slash Brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carrybrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey, everyone. This is the first half of our interview with Marty Kendall. The interview itself went a bit long, so we broke it up to two episodes. The second episode will premiere next week. We'll also have a special bonus episode of some of the behind-the-scenes conversation that uh, Marty and I had before I actually started the episode. So be sure to watch out for that as well. All right, with no further ado, I present the interview with Marty Kendall for The Fatty Joe Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Cary land, deep in the heart of the Nutmegger Forest. Today, I have an awesome guest on, and this is right up my alley. As you guys hear on the intro, I always talk about dogma. I talk about the things that we learn that we think are true, the things that that have often led us down the wrong path because we hold to it without proper data or explanation just because somebody told us it worked. Today, I, I have Marty Kendall, and he has made his, his uh, keto career about putting out data-driven information and busting keto myths that, that people like to spread around and, and, and often does a dis- disservice to people who are trying to live a healthier lifestyle. Marty, how are you doing today, boss? Yeah, good, man. Yeah, great. It's a beautiful Saturday morning in Brisbane, Australia, and it started raining, and it's, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, doing well. Yeah, it, it's, it's been snowing out here. It's just starting yeah, to wow. melt. Yeah, so. Yeah, coming it, into summer, it's beautiful, so, yeah. Isn't this kind of crazy with the technology that we can sit here and <laughs> yeah, look here, look at each other face to face and have a conversation and record that and spread it to the world. So used to be when you did pirate radio, you'd get in big trouble. And now podcasts are essentially pirate radio. <laughs> so I always like to ask the guests to tell us their superhero origin story, basically where they came from, how they got into to keto and where that journey came. And the other thing I, I want to touch on people is it. Marty's an engineer, so yeah. he's 
he's part of the series that we've been coming out with of, of, of but with the engineers, the citizen scientists that are, are really making all this keto stuff a thing in the world. You know, it, it, it really, the people that popularized the keto thing were the guys from Silicon Valley, like the Dave Asprey's, and it moved on to, to Dave Feldman's and Ivor Cummings and Marty Kendall's. And you guys have actually now started getting the medical community. It was you guys that started this and, and you're getting the medical community to sit up and take notice now. Hmm. So it's, it's really cool. And it's, I, I really believe it is the way you guys think and the way you guys Mm. approach problems with looking at it holistically and be willing to tear things down in order to find a problem that really is is the difference between you guys and the medical personnel and why you guys are so flexible changing but Mm. marty let's let's get into your superhero origin story where did you get your big red s on your shirt (laughs) um yeah not sure about the superhero bit but no my my wife uh monica is type 1 diabetic and um i suppose 18 years ago when we got married um started thinking about having kids she didn't understand much about the condition she had and I had had no idea and we went to find a doctor and we learned more about type 1 diabetes and how to manage that to some degree and had two great healthy teenagers um, but ever since then it's just been this journey of trying to understand how to manage diabetes and nutrition and I've got a family history of type 2 diabetes and obesity and always been the fat kid and struggled to optimize my health. And I suppose so it's very much a personal journey. Five years ago, I came across Jason Fung and he talked about the food insulin index and I dug up a bunch of data there and started analyzing that and smashed that together with nutrient density and then found a whole bunch of other data that talked about satiety and sort of tried to systematize that. I realized that while Moni's trying to manage type 1 diabetes, there's other people who, um, you know, are trying to lose weight and that may not be the, the right approach for them. And some people are athletes and trying to gain weight and some people are managing epilepsy and some people want to eat all animals and some people want to eat all plants. So I thought, let's try to use my knowledge and understanding to, to make a system that will be flexible enough based on, you know, what are the key fundamental principles that work for all of those people that we can apply in a flexible way that can be tweaked to suit their needs and goals. So yeah, it's not just one size fits all, but a, a system that can be tweaked to, to fit all those different goals. So yeah, just um, having fun doing it and sharing it. And five years ago, I started blogging, optimizing nutrition. And um, Jason Fong actually shared it with Iva. And um, he shared it on his blog and got a whole bunch of attention from people. And then I got involved in low carb down under and then type one grit. And it's just been a, a snowball journey from there. It's sort of taken over my life. And I'm trying to maintain a day job to earn the money while sharing, talking to people like you on the weekends and having a whole lot of fun doing it. So yeah, just trying to trying to be a superhero, but tired and uh, trying to sleep at the same time. So yeah. You know, even Superman was a reporter in his day job. So <laughs> I like it. I like it. There you go. You have um, recently come out with a book and yeah. where you are, are, Taking the myths that are surround yeah. the ketogenic diet that people put out, like uh, many people expose fat chasing to lose weight, or many mm. people expose to chase the key, higher ketones and yeah. things like this. And in some ways, it you know this lack of information and this this abundance of of misinformation is mm. it can create a lot of damage. Uh, the keto lifestyle and the keto keto movement. 
let's get into your book a little bit. Let's yeah. talk about the genesis of, of where it came from. Let's you, I mean, this, there are so many chapters on that book. So like, <laughs> we'll, we'll get like, let's talk about some of the popular myths. Let's pull out some of the popular yeah. myths as we go and kind of talk about them a little bit. Yeah. I called it, um, Big fat keto lies, but uh, it's sort of the, the the dead ends that I found on my nutritional journey. That I heard things, I believed them, and I tried them, and they failed. And I went, okay, let's look at the data, and what data can I find about myself and my friends? And and I've had with nutrient optimizer and trying to get a, as much data as I can. I can see what actually does work. Like just eat fat to satiety. I always thought, you know. If I ate more and more fat and my ketones got higher and I'd be losing body fat and uh, you know, I just looked in the mirror after a year of following the keto dogma and I didn't look so great and my weight was going up and I looked inflamed and um, so I suppose that whole concept of optimal ketosis and more ketones are better and however you get them, you know, they're magic and they lead to fat loss. But I suppose what we've discovered is over the last five years is more people have played with the ketogenic diet, we, we tend to adapt and that ketosis is a sort of a, a metabolic workaround when you don't have enough oxaloacetate from the protein and carbs in your diet that enable you to burn fat in the Krebs cycle. So over time, ketones, many people find that ketones continue to drift down. So they go, well, do I need higher ketones? Do I need to eat more and more fat, which can tend to be counterproductive in terms of fat loss, insulin resistance, uh, and, and weight loss over the long term and nutrient density. So that's a big passion for me, but a lot of things come back to that nutrient density dialed in to suit your goals. It, it is nearly the holy grail. Your body doesn't, you know, care about ketones as much. It just needs nutrients um, yeah, and enough energy to survive, but not too much. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of things like that. Eat fat to burn fat and you have to be in ketosis to burn fat and you should be afraid of protein because of gluconeogenesis. And as a whole, you know, insulin is something I live with all day. And I thought initially you need to avoid insulin and minimize insulin and, you know, avoid protein to, 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 to stabilize insulin and get flatline blood sugars and all those sort of things. And that would lead to optimal health. But then you see people with their CGMs and they're drinking unlimited bulletproof coffee and they've got these flatline blood sugars, but it doesn't lead to satiety because you've got most of the insulin your body produces is to keep your body fat in storage. If, if my wife, Monica, stopped taking insulin, all that stored energy would just like leach into her bloodstream and she'd have high glucose ketones and free fatty acids and that would be an, an awful situation so the but the secret to reducing insulin is really to you know optimize body composition and and ha be carrying less excess energy on your body because 80 percent of the insulin your body produces is um to hold back the energy and storage so yeah satiety nutrient density is sort of what i've come to as the key things to help people dial in their, their diet rather than just chasing unlimited ketones and and you know you, you really want the fat that the ketones to be coming from the fat on your body not necessarily the fat in your diet if your goal is diabetes reversal or, or weight loss and those sorts of things so yeah it's been a been a journey and and i've documented everything in my blog and got to a point where i thought you know let's just consolidate it all into one sort of work to say here it is everything nutritional failures and things i believed and thought i knew and this is what i've learned so it's been fun and good to have it out there yeah it's uh you know it it kind of harkens back to the sad american diet in a lot of ways we were told for a long time this is how you 
maintain your health. You have to eat so many grains. You have to eat so many things. And then people started jumping into keto and they started seeing a change. But at the same time, that same type of misinformation that was in the sad American diet kind mm. of spread over into keto. Yeah. My purpose for doing keto is a little bit different than if, most other people. So I, if, I have modified mine to actually, I, I don't necessarily chase ketones, if, but I, I generally try to chase a little bit higher fat in my diet if, most of the time. I'm doing it for brain health. I called the show the Fatty Joe Show. And, but one of the things, and, and that's actually after like the Bulletproof style coffee, but I didn't want to pay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's cool, man. Yeah, but nutrient density is something that I, I was focused on and you touched on because yeah. in my mind, you know, in, in the most simplistic way of, of thinking, I, I view the body as like a puzzle piece. If mm. you're trying to put together the puzzle piece and you want to make the full picture and you're missing some pieces, you may not yep. be able to, you might be able to make something out, but it doesn't quite work properly. Yeah. If you're trying to fix your insulin and you're trying to fix your hormone levels and your response things, then certain nutrients like vitamin D and magnesium and mineral, these all play, these micronutrients play a key role. Mm. And there's not a lot of keto people that are actually putting um, emphasis on these micronutrients. Yeah, and definitely once you switch from a, a standard diet to a keto diet, electrolytes particularly become important with your sodium, potassium, magnesium particularly. And like your, as your insulin levels drop, your body flushes those electrolytes out and you get the keto flu. And so that's initially really important to focus on. But then all of the micronutrients are important. And if you're eating a vegan diet, you'll be lacking, you know, B12 and omega-3. And if you're on a carnivore diet, you may find, you know, other nutrients like potassium or vitamin C harder to get depending on what type of, and everybody's got this individual nutritional fingerprint and sort of a, an individual solution of which foods they maybe need to prioritize a little bit more, which meals they need to try and eat more of to get those nutrients. So yeah, that's sort of the the engineering, like you said, it's a problem. It's a puzzle piece, and it's been a fascinating. It's like okay, I can see how the puzzle works. Um, it's not just like everybody needs more of blah, and so they should go supplement it. It's like which foods solve the puzzle piece for you, which has been yeah fascinating to try and automate that um, to, to to guide people in a more streamlined way to solve that. And it's it's a whole new way of thinking about nutrition that hoping to get out to the world and that's why i spend my weekends and early mornings trying to trying to do this stuff well it it almost harkens over to paleo who does focus a lot more on micronutrients so it's kind of a between the two yep Uh, the the people that i followed for a long time over at let's truck they were really big on the on the micronutrients as well as Mm. the macronutrients very much um they were very much a part of the nutritional uh therapy practitioner program So it's something that I, I've kind of come along and I, I noticed for me, like there's physical signs that I'm not getting the right nutrition. And one of them mm. is muscle cramping. Mm. And, and some of it may be that I'm getting too much of a nutrient that yep. is bring my muscle cramps because vitamin yeah. D block mineral absorption. So I have yeah. to kind of cycle things up and yeah. down, like more minerals here, more vitamin D here, and then, yeah. but not combine the two. 
Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating puzzle piece. And like you say, some nutrients compete for absorption. And if you take too much of one thing, it'll, uh, you like too much magnesium will compete with calcium absorption and you don't get that balance. And excess vitamin D supplementation may drive excess calcium absorption. And so, yeah, it's not just a matter of going, let's devise a, a chemistry set of supplements and a super supplement stack that'll, you know, solve the problem. It, it's more often, you know, real whole natural foods contain those nutrients in a form and a balance that your body knows what to do with so if you just yeah and you mentioned the nutrient cravings are a massive driver of appetite as well so if you're not getting enough of x y or z your body sort of continues to seek out more food until it gets enough protein or magnesium or sodium and a lot of people in the fasting keto community notice once they like have some bone broth or some sodium the appetite settles down and that's just the same across the board and it's a matter of trying to solve all of those pieces of the puzzle all at once which is fundamentally nutrient dense whole food grown in a, in a happy regenerative um, ecosystem but uh, yeah that, that that's the ultimate solution but i'm just trying to it seems obvious but the medical nutritional community you know who knew nutrition could be about nutrients you know it seems yeah. seems self-evident evident and then not only is it about the nutrients but it's also how the like you touched on it how you touched on it a bit but how the nutrients work together mm. and mm. a lot of nutrients work in synergy with one another yeah, and totally the, the ironic well, not ironic, but you often find these same nutrients will be available in the same type of foods mm. or common foods that are traditionally in, in traditional diets in many cultures are combined together quite a Definitely. bit. You find Definitely. that they have complementary nutrients in there, vitamin K2 and D3. Um, yeah, and nature's amazing and, and combines all those things. But, you know, our modern food system, what's it designed for? It's designed for, you know, making it taste amazing and making you buy more of it and being as cheap as possible so none of those things that are implicit in foods found in nature or those traditional foods that people knew how to create things just over years of refining that uh they knew how to get the the optimal nutrient balance and how to get the nutrients they needed out of the food but that, that's sort of been lost and sort of sticky taped over with you know these artificial flavors and colorings that trick your body into thinking it contains nutrients that food doesn't it's just you know this energy dense highly processed slop that's generally a con combination of refined oils refined starches from grains and, and sugars and then colorings and flavors to make it you know to, to make you want to eat more of it you wouldn't probably eat any of that food if it wasn't for the flavors and colorings that are put over it to, to trick your well-developed senses to think it actually contain nutrients yeah it, one of the things that you made me think of with that that part of the conversation about the manufacturing of food for different flavors and things like that theory of the bliss point that was mm. coming the American scientist about mm. making sweet enough to drive cravings to make you want more, mm. but not overly sweet. And there's like yep. this, bad, this this happy point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really um, I've forgotten the guy that the guy who developed it, but he's there's an amazing amount of mathematical research into doing surveys of people and saying do you like this food with more or less sugar, fat, salt, combining them all together. And it's amazing how the, the bliss point has changed in America, particularly over time. And, and you know, a, a particular bar in America by the same manufacturer will be even sweeter than in the UK because the American palate has just continued to, to ramp up 
um, to be the sensitivity has disappeared to, to real food taste and you have to turn up the dial more and more and more. So any real food you know, tastes much less interesting. It's like, you know, unlimited streamed porn and then, you know, real life is comparatively boring and you lose the interest for for the real wholesome stuff. And, uh, yeah, but at the same time, our, our, our food system is being grown in, in you know, mass-produced um, even the vegetables is, is often in less nutritious soil. It's been depleted more and more and more after just driving the same crop over and over again in the same field, just fueled by fossil fuel fertilisers um, that just make things grow really quickly. So not only do they grow really quickly, they're in nutrient-depleted soil, so those foods don't taste as good. But, you know, once you get a real tomato or a real, you know, whatever that's grown in nature in in you know the way it's meant to taste to go wow this actually tastes amazing because it has the nutrients it's meant to contain and you know if you try to incorporate the best food you can afford into your into your palate then you sort of transition away and move back from that palate that's been turned up so to, to 13 for so long you've lost all sensitivity so yeah it's no wonder that we've not getting the nutrients we need because all those processed foods that are turned up to, to 13 with these fake flavors and colors they you know that they don't contain the nutrients we need asia is ex experiencing a similar problem too mm. uh, when i lived over in the philippines like every bread product you bought had almost like a a glazing to it yeah. and it, it's even amplified more and it as you were talking i, I was relating it to drug usage like heroin mm. where you, totally. you think of a heroin user is always chasing that first high. Mm. They're trying to achieve that first feeling that they had, and they never do. And that's why so many people die of heroin overdose is again they keep adding more to try mm. and get that first high that they had. Yeah, it all comes back to the dopamine sensitivity, and and the more you expose yourself to something, that the less you get a, a dopamine hit from it. But the problem with the food we're being given to eat is that it doesn't actually you sort of promise something it doesn't actually give you. It doesn't give you the nutrients, but it's sort of like somebody who's made up to look like somebody they're not underneath and the food we, we're eating doesn't actually contain the nutrients that it's promising. We're seeing this in the keto world as well with hmm. all the manufactured keto products. Yeah. Many of the keto products that come out are very much devoid of nutrients and hmm. they, they have keto on the label, but they're hyper sweet and palatable mm. with no nutrient benefits to them whatsoever yeah, sometimes yeah. you'll read the ingredients too and it'll be like keto first ingredient natural cane sugar <laughs> yeah you mentioned um paleo before and you know i'm a big massive fan of of rob wolf and um he's helped me a lot and influenced me a lot over the years but you look at you know the rise of paleo and it was you know everybody was getting into these real whole foods and then all of a sudden the um Keto, uh, paleo comfort foods came out and people kept going, you know, is this paleo? And then at least dates and honey and almond flour all mixed together and these amazing, you know, they taste incredible, but it's just the same as that mixing starch, fat and, and, and artificial flavours. It's the same formula applied. So, you know, what you see across the world is this, you know, seed oils have just risen over the last 100 years and then the use of carbs from... Um, agricultural products sort of dropped and then from the 50s 60s started to rise as well so you've had this rise of 
of fat over the last 100 years and carbs over the last 50 years. And you've got this combination of carbs and fat together that are incredibly rare in nature other than in autumn. And they drive our body into this hyperphagic autumnal, we have to eat more, winter's coming, give me food, give me food. And we can't stop eating these foods that have got a low percentage protein and, and a combination of carbs and fats together. I mean, in nature, you've got the, the acorns, which drive squirrels just to get fat and ready for hibernation. And, and you know, breast milk, which is this amazing combination that makes babies grow. But, you know, think of another food that is a, is a perfect mix of fat and carbs. But if you look at all the processed food, it's the same thing. But yeah, in keto world, you've got you know, your fat bombs that are just full of artificial sweeteners and in a way that you go, yeah, this tastes amazing. I'm eating keto and, you know, I'm hammering it down. And if, if weight loss or a whole bunch of, you know, a lot of the benefits of keto is when the, the ketones are coming from your own body fat and you're turning over your um, stored energy and you know losing and, and approaching a, a more optimal body composition so you know that, that that's one of the the myths is that just because i'm getting ketones from um, the, the butter or mct oil or exogenous ketones i'm getting all of the same health benefits and if if, if your goal is depression or neurological issues or your epileptic kid who needs to grow then that's 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 really good but i think unfortunately it's conflated and and i think 80 percent of people maybe 90 maybe 99 percent of people who come to keto want fat loss and that happens as they depart from that combination of fat and carbs together but that only happens for a while if they don't manage the you know where is your fat coming from is it your body or your your bulletproof coffee for the fatty Joe show. So yeah, it, you've, yeah I suppose yeah. From, from an engineering point of view, you've got to say, what are my goals and how are we going to get there? And, and everybody's goals are just a little bit different. So you have to understand how the, the system works. I, I did lose a lot of weight on using my fatty Joe's, but I think what happened with me is because I, I don't do things in a normal way <laughs> ever. So I did focus in on a lot of that nutrient density of the yeah. things consuming. So in mm. my fatty Joe, I would throw eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And An amazingly are, bioavailable source of protein. So right, and and when you temper the hot liquid from the coffee in there with the butter and everything like that, you cook the eggs. You can make this nice frothy mm. kind mm. of drink. Mm. And so that's that's where mine differed from a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I would still use things like MCT oil. I was a big fan of C8 MCT oil because yep. of how it made my brain feel. Yeah. So that was my goal. And the thing that I noticed when I was going through is that I lost my appetite. Yeah. I did not, when I was a truck driver, and even before I was a truck driver, when I was doing sports, when I was doing the pro wrestling, my whole life, mm. I, I, I was about food. Like, like I, I would eat and be thinking about my next meal. Mm. When started doing this higher fat, higher protein mm. kind of ceased to happen. Mm. Mm. I, I could go a day or two without eating. And mm. so now I'm into a fasting state. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Definitely. that's another thing that you're getting <laughs> to do. Segway. Yeah. <laughs> not segue, man. <laughs> Appetite. Fasting. Yes. So that's another thing that you're getting into is your data driven fasting research right now yeah. group on facebook yeah. about, and you've got people going that 
putting in their data about their past yep. and you're collecting a lot of things. So you're really looking and you're doing not just intermittent fasting, but some people are doing extended fasting and you're looking at that and some people yep. are doing fasting. So let's, let's, there are a lot of myths around and misinformation around fasting as well. And one yeah. of the one of the ones that I, I asked you about the other day on uh, on uh, Facebook is the there's a specific company in general that I'm not yeah. going to say here, but they they <laughs> advertising this fasting mimicking diet. Yep. yep. And I um, that hit me with some red flags when just as soon as I saw the name. But then when I saw the food that they were offering, I was like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you call you pay a lot of money to send me some leafs, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the the myths around fasting, about what fasting actually is, and then also let's yeah. let's get into some of your data and some of what you're uncovering with your research. Yeah, um, fasting is another thing I, I played with a lot and and used, and you know. I'd, fast for days at a time and but then it always came down to that refeed that I was really hungry and and my food choices I was learning about nutrient density and satiety but then I just observed myself it's sort of like nearly torture when you understand what your lizard brain is doing when you refeed and going I'm going for the the peanut butter and the cream and the you know the butter and the sort of keto but the sort of really energy dense and then over time you're not losing the weight you hoped and not gaining the health that you you hoped through this in spite of the deprivation so i suppose i saw a lot of other people who were struggling with the same thing that you know, they do long fasts but just keep on cycling and when they refeed that they've got this the binge instincts uh kick in yeah so something we'd played with a while ago just coming from a type 1 diabetes always looking at blood sugars perspective you see with with monica's i'm watching her continuous glucose monitor all the time and, and it balances insulin and and her blood sugars and tries to get it back to a, a healthy blood sugar all the time and it's illogical for her to eat a whole lot when her blood sugar is really high because she needs to wait for that to come back down so that driven fasting is sort of the same sort of approach is that anybody can use their a little blood sugar machine and uh, and test their blood sugars a couple of times a day just to understand whether the fuel tank is full. And really the, you can think of uh, from an oxidative priority point of view, you've got you know alcohol burns the quickest and ketones, if they're available, burn really quick as well. And then you've got carbohydrates and then your dietary fat and then your body fat will, will burn sort of in that order. So if your glucose is, is high, um, if in your blood, you've got plenty of fuel on board, but as you deplete your body fat and your, your dietary fat as well, sort of the, the bottom level of that fuel tank will drop and diminish as well. So yeah, it, it's the, the glucose is, you know, we look at, you know, there's a lot of, I'm getting all these Facebook ads for Lumen, which measures your respiratory quotient. And I measured ketones, blood and breath for ages and played with all that. But really the your simple blood sugar is just this amazing indication of whether you you really need to eat now and and you don't just waiting for your blood sugar to drop a little bit below your normal pre-meal blood sugar enables you to calibrate your hunger so yeah i'm truly hungry i need to eat if your pre-meal blood sugar is dropping you're in a you know you're losing body fat and then you can still focus on eating well when you refeed. So you've got satiety and appetite control to segue back to your little uh, mention about appetite, which is absolutely critical if you're finding yourself refeeding uh, and not losing weight. 
uh, you need to find that right balance between how long you're fasting and what you're refeeding with to make sure you don't lose metabolically active lean tissue in the long term because that's really critical because I think a lot of people fast for a long time, they refeed with uh, lower protein, energy-dense foods that leaves them skinny fat um, they may be lighter, but they're carrying less muscle, and, and that's that's a really important factor over the long term. So, yeah, data-driven fasting tries to help you balance those those multiple factors to help you get just enough deprivation, but not so much you end up not being able to control your food quality when you eat again. I've been playing around with fasting lately because I actually put some effort into dropping the the last bit of weight that I had. Yeah. I'm still working on it. Um, I have to balance it in between recipe development for what we do. Like, <laughs> really tough time to fast. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's my problem. My wife is such a great cook. It's like, oh, I got this great dinner. It's like, oh, okay, you know, let's let's enjoy that. But yeah. But um, I I found because I've tried fasting while I was on the truck, and there was multiple reasons why it failed for me on the truck. Because I'm coming to realize one stress. Mm. Of, of being on the road and boredom um, of not having anything to do. And then you take eating out of the quotient. Mm, you know? It's got nothing, nothing uh, to do. Yeah. And your sleep patterns all jacked up. And yeah. that always makes me, you know, if I don't sleep properly, I, I get real snacky and real hungry mm. later. So, mm. um, and trucking sleep is horrible. But one of the things what I found when I got off the truck is I actually created a pattern for myself where I can comfortably get in and out of my fasts. Mm. The thing I was paying attention to was how my stomach felt as well as my head. Because previously when I tried to fast, I would get a headache. And I'm like, not right here, you know. And I could drink water and electrolytes and still get a headache. So what I started to do, and I think part of it too, is is that almost addictive pattern of eating. Like like I'm supposed Mm. to eat now and my body revolted. It's like, you're Mm. supposed to have food now, you know. And and so my body was trying to get me to eat. But – I cycled from a liquid diet into a fast and Mm. then out of the fast back into a liquid diet and then Mm. solid food. And I found that transition, I was able to go five days without eating. Yeah, wow. And when I would cycle into, I would cycle from a higher fat, higher protein approach with my liquid diet and I would use Mm. keto cow a lot because it was just something I could do. And they have savory flavors with no sweeteners. And I found that mm. if I did the no sweetener thing before really? the fact, yeah, cool. I would have lifts, the sweeteners kind of drive you, you want to eat more. So mm. if I spent like two days with no sweeteners, eating the savory flavors with added bone broth, and I experimented with popping up my protein and, yep. and lowering my fat ratios and, and then kind of, yeah. I found yeah. like this little sweet spot. That makes of, a lot of sense. Yeah. And so it would be a bit of fat, and, and mm. a higher amount of protein than what I normally would do. Mm. So adding eggs, and actually I was playing with egg white powder. Yeah, wow. To up that protein content with the whole egg in there. Pretty much the ultimate way to get your protein, the egg white. Which is, it, it has less of an insulin response than the uh, whey protein does. Yeah, right. So I figured that would help with the, the cravings. And then one thing I noticed is when I went to go refeed, uh, initially, if I went into regular food, my, my stomach revolted on me. Yeah, like, yeah I found the same thing. Yeah, so cycling back into something that was easy for my body to digest, mm. very helpful. And that was mainly just bone broth, just straight mm. up bone broth with nothing added to it. And then from the bone broth, then maybe a keto chow and a couple of days of keto chow, and then just start bringing in small little, you know, real food meals. 
Mm, mm. And it also, what I found is I wasn't binging yeah. when I got off the fast. Yeah. That, that, that's the critical element is, yeah, and like you say, focusing on getting the protein when you refeed is a really important factor, especially to make sure your body composition continues to improve. You don't just want to be losing. It's it's actually really hard to, to lose weight and not lose a lot of ma- muscle at the same time. So some people you see go from a very low-protein diet and they start focusing on more protein and actually gain muscle and and lose fat at the same time. But it's it's not a common occurrence. So, yeah, you have to really think, focus on that, make it, it a priority like protein, you're doing. It seems yeah. to be the protein source makes a huge difference too. Yeah, yeah, you need the, the bioavailable protein. Yeah, because plant proteins don't do it for me. It, it, they don't satiate me. Yep. I, I but I'm hungrier. Mm. And then, uh, like if I try to p- do pea protein or something like mm. that, it, it's like I might as well just not eat anything because it's like I will. It just drives up my hunger. Mm. Mm. Um, but when I do something like bone broth or mm. uh, and whey does the same thing to me. I want to eat more when I do whey. Yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that a lot of people like if you think of um, satiety is related to you know macronutrients in a way but fundamentally it seems to be related to the dietary induced thermogenesis that you know it takes a lot more effort for your body to digest protein and turn it into energy atp than um carbs or fat which are quite easily processed you only lose about five to fifteen percent with carbs or fat but you might lose 25 to 35 percent of the energy as just trying to process that the, the protein but if if you look at whey it's already largely pre-digested and it goes straight into your body and, and you don't really need much effort to to pull all the molecules apart and turn them into to, to put them onto your body but um yeah so for trying to focus on whole food protein sources just seems to be the the ultimate um, and much better than just go, yeah, I'm getting my protein because I'm I'm eating whey protein, which is not necessarily if, – if you're trying to get jacked and bigger and put on a lot of, of bulk, it's a really good thing to do. But if you're trying to maximize satiety, probably not. And same with nutrient density. It's not as nutritious as a whole food protein source. It seems like when we get in trouble with things a lot of times is when we oversimplify things. Yeah. And when you look at the protein powders and things like that, the way yeah. you think and think of it is they're an oversimplified version of the protein. You're not getting yeah. everything that usually comes with the protein yeah. that helps you do totally. access. You know, it, It's yeah. kind of like putting a lock on your door and not having the key to get in. We generally have that issue in society altogether when it comes to oversimplification, mm. which is where a lot of these myths and dogmatic beliefs come in. Mm. It's, it's these oversimplifications of not looking at the entire system, but just uh, of a specific point and mm. we see that not just in keto but like when people said kale's healthy for you so everybody just started eating kale and that's it i'm on the all kale diet you know and it's um, <laughs> you can you only know, eat so much kale before you explode <laughs> right you know but we do that a lot and and, and to kind of go back to food manufacturers food manufacturers are fantastic and oversimplifying something and creating like a catchphrase that triggers in your mind. Mm. One of the things is um, all natural. It came from the ground. It's all natural. It must be healthy for me, right? Yeah. You you know, you go and explain to somebody just because it's all natural doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. There are a lot of things mm. that came from the ground that will kill you. <laughs> but majority of the plants on the planet will either make you violently ill or kill you. So that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's okay. 
For sure, for sure. And I suppose that's what I really like about the concept of nutrient density is if you can, you know, there's all these claims of, you know, this, that and the other is magic food that will give you what you need. But uh, has it? does it actually contain the nutrients you need naturally without having to add a whole lot of fortification and fake vitamins that probably don't do as much and they're not in the right ratios and forms that your body knows what to do with so that's sort of what i really really like about the whole nutrient density concept is it let's maybe you don't you don't want to track your food forever but maybe track your food for a couple of days and say does the food i eat give me the nutrients i need naturally without having to take a whole lot of pills and if not then what foods should I eat more of to, to get what I need? And often it's not, it might have might look like a solid amount of veggies, but most of the, the energy from that plate is coming from your animal and fish and, you know, the, the, the dairy or whatever. So, yeah, it's it doesn't really matter as long as you've, which extreme you end up on generally, you know, there's some balance between animal and plant-based foods for nutrient-dense approach that works for individuals. Now, let's let's get into a little bit of the nutrient density because I'm sure a lot of people who listen who because there's so much misinformation out there because there's such a lack of information on other sides mm. they're okay nutrient density what does that look like what do I eat that's nutrient dense that's going to work for this type of diet yeah um with respect to um, keto low carb the first approach. I think is to, if your blood sugar is on this massive roller coaster, you want to drop out the refined carbohydrates that put you on that roller coaster. But once your blood sugars are stable, then you want to focus on foods that contain the nutrients you need more of, and that might include some degree of, of non-starchy veggies, the, the spinach, kale, whatever. But um, you know, some level of that. But like you say, not many people can eat a whole lot of that, and they start blending it up, and but that doesn't contain the amino acids and omega threes that come with your, your your healthy you know animal based and and seafoods. So it's just basically a combination of meat, seafood, and uh, non starchy veggies that are fairly unrefined. Is is the bottom line as far as what it looks like? And we've created um, and now two hundred recipes that we've thrown into twenty two recipe books that we've got another few on the way at the moment as a, as a sideline hobby but um just trying to show people what it looks like and then bring that into nutrient optimizer so based on what you're currently eating it'll tell you which recipes which would align best for your goals and what, what you're trying to achieve what i've seen and what i've studied uh it seems to be that one of your best options for nutrient density is certain types of animal products uh, meats and things like that in particular a lot of seafoods such as like yeah. poison and lobster definitely and, definitely um yeah. but it, and and also the off cuts of, of meats what we would yep. call the awful yep. the the parts that we're not generally eating as much now is like the the bone marrow the mm. uh the liver the other mm. organ parts uh even uh back in the day it was a thing to scramble some calf brain into your eggs mm. and things like that mm. people don't mm. do that anymore these things often are also the ones that people look at it and go, ew. Because they've got such a strong taste because they're so nutritious in some ways and we're so accustomed to these hyperpalatable flavoured and coloured foods. And yeah, I don't think everybody needs to decide between the croissant and the 
the calf brain or living on liver, but, you know, you, you find some balance between that extreme. And, yeah, I don't want people to think that nutrient density is all about eating caviar or calf brain or, or liver all the time. But like you say, it's about eating, you know, whole food and, and animal and seafood with a bit of plant thrown in to get the micronutrients, the, the particularly the minerals that can be harder to find in the meat only. And then you need a bit of seafood to get the omega-3 that's hard to find in the plant and even the, the meats and so it's sort of a, a nice balance across the board but um yeah it, it generally generally if you're eating whole foods it's a good point but if you need if you're getting if you're not getting the response you want then dialing it up a little bit further is, is really helpful you can and you can quantify that and work out what you need for your goal hey everyone thanks for listening to this half of the interview with marty kindle be sure to catch the next half when it drops next week And be sure to catch the uh, little bonus episode that we're throwing out there featuring some of the conversation that Marty and I had before I actually started the show. I want to give a special thanks to all the rock stars who support the show as well as all the other endeavors of, of Carrie Brown and myself. The Patreon rock star supporters every month throw a little money our way so that we can keep recipe development going we can keep videos coming out to youtube teaching people how to cook new and delicious meals or even teach people the basic cooking skills that they need to be self-sufficient in the kitchen and eat a healthier lifestyle so some of the rock stars that i want to give a shout out to this week are susan dolinar shannon baker linda peterson and Susie smoltz I am probably missing pronouncing Susie's last name and I apologize. I'm trying. It's a little bit one, one that's a bit difficult, but I want to thank you. Thank you so much. And I will give you an extra thank you, Susie, and apologize again for probably messing up your last name. If you go to patreon.com slash Carrie Brown or patreon.com slash the fatty Joe show. You too could also be a Patreon supporter and help us keep the show moving on as well as the other projects that Carrie Brown and I are doing. You also get access to some cool swag, a private Facebook group where we hang out, have some fun. And I also do lives in that group called the um, fatty Joe show Rockstar edition. And you can uh, check out a lot of the, get early access to recipes and check out a lot of the other stuff that we do before it actually hits the general population. I also want to thank the people who leave ratings and reviews down below. It really helps keep the, the podcast getting pushed out to more people, helps increase the audience, and helps us uh, get good information that can help pe- more and more people. So this week's review is from Helene Hopkins, and she said, Thanks, Yogi, for another great episode. Episode 17, listen, and you will never eat tilapia again. And she left us a five-star rating. Helene, I want to thank you so much for leaving that review. And if you want to hear your review read out on air, please make sure that you leave a comment below on the uh, Apple Podcast app. All right, everybody, I want to sign out. I want to encourage everyone to be kind to one another. We are starting a new year, a new chapter, and we can make things better just by how we interact with others. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work, 
on the blog, Keto Recipe Development Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of The Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker, and check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.